0: morning everybody the last two weeks i've been at our mount laurel campus and uh hope is doing a good thing there if you haven't had an opportunity uh to go check it out i'd encourage you to do so sometime uh in the next couple of months and see for yourself uh what's what's happening in mount laurel and uh, so Always glad to have Susie back and Lonnie, who are our worship leaders uh, in Mount Laurel typically. Steve is there this morning. And uh, so that's what's happening. Um, So one of the most surreal experiences of my adult life happened at a Taylor Swift concert (laughs) in Chicago where I went with three other men. Um two of them are pastors so Pastor Steve and Pastor Rick have talked about this uh, before I don't know if I have um, I, I'm not going to do a, the full-blown story although it's awesome and uh, you'd love to hear it but um, we ended up there we were in Chicago for a conference and uh, the other guy with us John his uh, he was uh, good friends with Taylor's dad Scott so Scott heard we were in Chicago and said why don't you come to Taylor's concert and so we had nothing else to do I didn't really know what to expect um, we go into this arena And there we are instantly assaulted by the screams of 17,000 adolescent girls. In this arena, who are just in love with Taylor, so they are screaming at the top of their lungs. We were in the center of the arena, at where the tech booth was, so we were right in the midst of all of this screaming and adoration and so forth. These girls idolize Taylor Swift, and uh, so it was—it was pretty overwhelming. But that's—that's that's kind of a typical thing for kids, right? When you're a child in your kind of pre-adolescent life, you're looking at people who are doing something that you one day imagine that you're going to be doing, and they're doing it at a high level, and so, you know, you want to be that person. You want to be just like that person. So whether they're a performer or, in my case, as a kid growing up, it was athletes, and so um, I... Grew up in Central Jersey, I am a Yankees fan, and, um, that's just wrong. That's, (laughs) there was a woman after the first service who stopped me and she said, I'm new here, I'm a Yankees fan, I'll be back. So there. Anyway, so for me it was Mickey Mantle. I mean, the Mick was the man, and so his poster was was up on my wall. On the other wall was my other hero, O.J. Simpson. Um, true story. So we have those idols, and it's it's a, it's a normal thing for kids. As we get older, however, our loyalties, our affections, are Passions and interests begin to shift and sometimes we can idolize things or, or, um, ideals that become idols for us. So I was thinking about that and I, you know, began to just ask people casually around here, what do you think American, Americans typically idolize? And I did a little, uh, checking on, um, you know, Googled it and so forth to see what would, would come up. And uh, the list is probably one that wouldn't surprise you a lot. Uh, the first answer I heard uh, was money. We uh, we make money and idol. Power was another one. Technology, that's probably a relatively new one that we um, would idolize technology. Sports person said sports, but not just professional sports, sports in general, and went on to say that they feel like at times we sacrifice our kids on the altar of athletics. Like, wow, that was heavy. Um, On the web, I saw one who listed the past as something that we idolize. We create these um, illusions of what the past was like, not really full pictures of all that was going on in a particular era, and so we create this kind of gauzy image of something in the past, and that becomes a kind of idol for us. Now, an idol, as you may guess or imagine, an idol is... Anything that we are extremely devoted to or worship. It's an object of extreme devotion or worship. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to worship the one true God and to put aside idols, and our faith, which is connected all the way back to Abraham, where we are introduced to the one true God, and that is who we are called to worship and none other. Now, it's important to recognize that we are to worship God not because God needs our worship. We don't have a needy deity, you know, that just is in need of people bowing down and worshiping. But we are designed, we are created for God and to worship. And when our worship is misdirected, it gets directed somewhere. We have to worship. We need something that is greater than ourselves that we feel a deep devotion to or worship. And so if it's not the one true God, then it will be idols, we will find something that we're going to worship. The problem is when we worship the wrong things, when we worship idols, they don't stand the test of time. They may provide some, some need that we feel, some desire that we may have for a period of time, but they will always fail us. O.J. Simpson was not one to idolize, right? Right? Money, power, nostalgia, whatever it might be, will always fail us. It is only the one true God that stands. So why all this talk about idols? We've been in this series that started right after Easter. We're calling After Easter. What happened following the resurrection of Jesus? What happened in the lives of his followers? And then what did those followers do as they went out into the world and literally changed the world? And so we looked at... Um, the road to Emmaus and the two guys on the road to Emmaus and the transformation that took place in their lives and we looked at last week we looked at Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit came and uh, had explosive growth of the church as people ran out in the streets and began to talk about Christ and invite people into a relationship with the resurrected Jesus. This morning, I want to look at a, a story from the life of Paul. Now, this one didn't happen right after Easter. In fact, it was probably a couple of years afterwards. But it's instructive to us about how we, as followers of Christ, um, can share our faith in ways that might be effective So before I uh, go to the scripture, I want to just give you a little background about the Apostle Paul for those of you who may not be as familiar with him. The uh, Paul who became known as the Apostle Paul uh, was a guy who was highly trained and deeply devoted to the law. He was a Pharisee by training and he was deeply committed to obedience to the law as a way to express his dedication to God. This was a guy who was passionate about it. It wasn't just because he was trained and had the education. It wasn't just because he um, was a Pharisee, had the title and so forth. This was a passionate guy about the law. And when he heard about these followers of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and so forth, he was convinced that this was heresy. And he didn't want Jews to be misguided, misdirected by this false teaching from Jesus and his followers. And so he, after Jesus' death, was passionately pursuing these Christ followers in order to eradicate them. He didn't want this this, um, disease to spread through Judaism. And so he was pursuing Christians and having them arrested and and so on and so forth. But in a moment's time, Paul was transformed from the number one um, condemner of Christians to the number one evangelist of Christ. What happened? In a word, Easter. Or a better word, resurrection. Paul was confronted by the resurrected Jesus. And it completely transformed his understanding of the Messiah, of the law, of the faith, and who God is. And so he went from a persecutor of the church to the number one evangelist. Of the church. All right, so that's who Paul is. And uh, so he finds himself in uh, Acts chapter 17. He finds himself in the Greek city of Athens and uh, has this kind of interesting experience that I want to um, look at with you. We'll just read some of the scripture together. Okay, so it's Acts chapter 17, uh, beginning with verse 16. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If you've got a Bible app, or you can watch, or Follow along on the screen. While Paul was waiting for them, he's waiting for some of his, his uh, buddies in ministry, while he was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all of the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also debated with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers where he told them about Jesus and his resurrection. They said, what is this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he picked up? Others said, he seems to be teaching about some foreign gods. Okay, so I want to pause there. So here's Paul. He's in Athens. It's in Greece. It is this kind of center of philosophical... Um, discussions and training and so forth. All of the big philosophies of the day were uh, there in Athens in training centers and so forth. And all of the religions of the area would gather and they would have their own little, you know, uh, buildings and so forth where they would worship their gods. And all around the city would were these idols, wooden idols and Stone idols and gold and silver idols all over the place, and Paul is walking around and seeing all of this. Now, what Paul's habit was, what his uh, uh, way of conducting himself, when he would go to a new town or city, he would first go to the synagogue. And he would go into the synagogue, and there he would talk to the Jews about Jesus and open the scriptures to them and say, the Messiah who was prophesied came and was Jesus, and then kind of unfold the uh, scriptures to them. And many would believe and come to faith in Jesus. But he didn't limit himself to the Jews because he came to understand that the good news of Christ is for everyone, not just for Jews. And so he would start in the synagogue, but then he would go to other places where Gentiles would gather, and he would try and share with them about who Jesus was. And so that's what he's doing here in Athens, and it says that he's talking to, uh, he ends up talking to these two groups. One was the um, Epicureans, and the other were the Stoics. Do we have any Epicureans here this morning? No? No? Stoics? You may be actually an Epicurean or a Stoic. So Epicureans, just kind of boiling it down to its essence, Epicureans were hedonists. They believed that the goal in life was pleasure. So there was the physical side to that, and then there was also the kind of intellectual side of that, and an intellectual, you know, the, the pleasure intellectually was to be free from fear. Especially fear of death and of the gods. If you wanted to boil down their philosophy, it would be akuna matata, right? Our problem-free philosophy. It was akuna matata. It was this idea of we're here for pleasure. And uh, so physical pleasure, yeah. And for, you know, freedom from fear. And so there's a lot of Epicureans, I think, in our country today, right? The Stoics, on the other hand, the Stoics were all about knowledge. The goal in life was to gain knowledge and not worry at all about the pleasures of life or the worries or hardships of life. You gave no thought, nothing. You didn't care a thing about whether something was good. You didn't get excited about it. If something was bad, you didn't get worried about it. It was none of that. It was all about knowledge. Theirs could be... Probably summed up as, life is hard, so suck it up, cupcake. That's kind of the Stoics, okay? We talked today about somebody who's Stoic, right? That means they're non-responsive, they're, you know, they don't respond positively or negatively, they're Stoics. So Paul is trying to talk about Jesus to the Epicureans and the Stoics, And I suspect that to the Epicureans, he was saying things like, yes, the joy of the Lord is our strength. There is a joy in knowing Jesus, and he would probably talk in those ways. And to the Stoics, he would say, yes, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Life is difficult. There are going to be hardships. Follow me in the midst of the hardships. And their response was, what is this guy babbling about? You ever had that experience where you're trying to talk about your faith to somebody who doesn't share your faith, and they're thinking, what is she talking about? What is he trying to tell me? This makes no sense at all. Don't be surprised by that. Paul had the same experience. He's trying to speak into a philosophy that is foreign to the gospel and make it relevant to them so that they can see it and hear it and respond to it. And that's part of our call as followers of Christ is to share our faith with others, particularly those who don't share it, and to contextualize it, to, to share it in a way that they can understand. All right, so let's... Continue on. So that's what he's doing. He's in the midst of uh, having those conversations. Uh, then picking up in verse 19, it says, Then they took him to the high council of the city. Mm, the high council of the city. Um, Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. So at least they're curious, right? It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seemed to spend all of their time discussing the latest ideas. These guys would have loved TED Talks, right? This would have been a group that would have been doing TED Talks. You don't know what TED Talks are? Doesn't matter, okay. Look it up, you'll find out. All right, so they're just interested in new ideas and, and so forth. So there's a receptivity there, which is, which is great. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. Want to pause there. You are religious in every way. So remember at the beginning of the scripture, it says Paul is in Athens and he's bothered by the fact that there's all of these idols because we're not supposed to worship idols. So he, it's, you know, it's a problem for him. But when he actually gets to talk to folks, rather than going to the negative and saying, you guys are crazy, you've got all these idols and these are bad and, you know, they're evil and so forth, he didn't do that. He said, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. He talks about their idols and he he referenced one in particular, an idol to an unknown God. So he starts where they are and affirms where they are. You know, I think this is an important part of us sharing our faith with others, that we affirm where people are, that we want to understand where they are before we're dialed into telling them where we are in our faith. You know Paul has this one shot in in this um, story, but that's not typical for. For me, or probably for you, that you're going to be uh, in front of a group of people giving, you know, what the Christian faith is about and, and then answering a couple of questions and then you're done. Chances are your conversations about your faith are going to be with people that you know, people that you're in relationship with on a regular basis. That's certainly the case for me. So what I like to do is when I'm talking about faith with somebody that doesn't share my faith is I want to know about what it is they believe. And so I'll spend time, whatever amount of time that is, whether it's an hour or whether it's over the course of lots of conversations. Tell me what you believe. Tell me how you've come to that belief. What do you think about? What do you think about God? Do you believe in a God? Why or why not? And what do you think that God's role in the world is? And, and just want to hear about their understanding of faith before I'm sharing my own, because here's what I've discovered. God is involved in people's lives even before they know it. Christ and the Holy Spirit are involved in people's lives before they have any interest in him. The theological term for this is prevenient grace, that God is working ahead of where we are. That was true in my life. It's true in your life. It's true in the lives of everybody that you know, that God is already at work in people's lives, whether they acknowledge him or not. And so we want to hear. We want to take the time to hear, to listen. So what? where do you see God at work? What is your philosophy of life? What's your understanding of life? When we do that, then we have opportunities to say, oh, yeah, that's good that's like what I believe over here. This is the way I would talk about that. Or or I I look at things differently than that. Here's, Here's what I believe. Okay. So he's affirmed them in the fact that they are interested in religion and ostensibly about God. Verse 27. Paul is now teaching them about Yahweh, the God of Christ. His purpose, God's purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and to find Him, though He is not far from any one of us. He is not far from any one of us. That's provenient grace. God is not far from anyone. For in Him we live and move and exist. As some of you, as some of your own poets have said, quote, we are his offspring. So here's Paul. I'll just pause here. Here's Paul's, he's talking to them now about, about his faith and he quotes their poets. Paul is conversant in the culture in which he is. He understands the Greek culture. He's read about it. He's studied it. He is familiar with their poets so that he can have a conversation knowing where they're coming from. Really important for us that we understand the culture in which we live. So as I was reading that, I thought, well, so who are the poets today that people are listening to? And I don't know that poetry is all that big, but I do know that music is big. And the lyrics to songs and so forth is where people are hearing the poets. So I thought, well, let me go check out the Billboard Top 100. I know. That's how cool I am. So the Billboard Top 100, and actually I just wanted to look at like the top 30 or 40. I didn't want to go through 100 of these things, but um, I, I, it was interesting what I came across. right? So the number two song, number two selling song last week, I don't know when it changes, but the number two selling song when I checked this out last week was um, God's Plan by Drake. I mentioned Drake, so I must be cool, right? I know some of you are going, yeah, cool, Drake. And others of you are going, who is Drake? What's that? the number um, 17 top selling song is titled Pray for Me by Kendrick Lamar. And the number 30 top selling song is called Heaven by Kane Brown. Three songs in the top 30 have a spiritual concept to them. They're not Christian songs by any stretch, I'm pretty sure. When it says explicit next to it, I'm not going there. But, but here's the thing. They're interested. We talk a lot about, um, or I read a lot about, the fact that the millennial generation is the least religious generation in American history. But they are still children of God. They are still wired to worship. They still want to meet God, whether or not they understand who God is or are worshiping some idol. They all have that within them. And it's evidenced in their, in some of their songs, right? God's plan. Pray for me. Heaven. Concepts that are familiar to us as Christ follows. So I can actually quote and say, you know, Drake is talking about God's plan. And in the song said, you know, and whatever. So you get the idea, right? We have to be conversant in the culture, understand the culture so that we can speak into the culture. All right. And I've lost my place. So you guys talk among yourselves. I'll be back. Here we go. And since this is true, so this is verse uh, 29, and since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he has commanded everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. See, he's pivoted now. He's now talking about his faith in Christ. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed and has proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. So now he's talking specifically about Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, right? There are opportunities for us to talk about Jesus, the resurrected one. And we don't need to be embarrassed or ashamed or afraid of the reaction. It's our faith. Here's the reaction that, that Paul got. When they heard Paul speak about this resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, right? They laughed at the apostle Paul. Like, don't you guys know he's like written a whole bunch of the Bible? You're, not, you're laughing at him? When people don't know what to do with something, when it's unfamiliar, when it's outside of their little box, sometimes the reaction is to just dismiss it and try to dismiss you. Don't be surprised. It's okay. God's got them. Our job isn't to convert people. Our job is to share our faith. The work of the Holy Spirit will be the work in somebody's heart. We just tell the story. We just tell what we know in respectful ways so people can hear. So, yeah, some laughed, held them in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers, and then it talks about who they were. Some believed. Some came to faith. What happened after Easter? The church. Men and women who had had the profound experience of faith in the resurrected Christ and found in that a new life, an abundant life, and the hope of an eternal life. And what was true for them 2,000 years ago is still true for us today. And that's our call and that's our challenge is to share that faith. So our city's not all that different than Athens, right? There are idols all around that people are worshiping in misguided kinds of ways. And we need to be students of the culture so that we can speak intelligently into it. Because as one of our poets said, Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. We all do. Whether we're serving an idol or we're serving God, we all serve somebody. And our privilege and our joy is to serve the living God, the one true God, revealed to us the resurrected Christ, and to invite others into that journey as well. Knowing, friends, that as we do, the Lord will bless us and keep us, the Lord will make his face to shine upon us, and the Lord will be gracious to us forever and ever. Amen.